Amen. Thanks, Seth. Um, All of us, at one time or another, we get thirsty. And when we get thirsty, we have to come to some type of well. Uh, Maybe your well is, uh, you know, your faucet. Maybe it's a drinking fountain. Maybe it's a well that looks like this. And I think all of us um, kind of learn that there has to be something more to this life than just going to work and earning money and buying trophies and enjoying pleasures and the like. And over the last two weeks, what we've been talking about is that all of those things are like empty buckets. That if you put all of your time and your energy and your focus into your work or into money or into trophies or into pleasure, at the end, it's just going to be a leaky mess because those things will never keep you whole. They'll never fill you up. We've also talked about empty hearts and we've talked about living water and we've talked about eternal life and how we can receive that. And we've talked about all of these things uh, through the lens of a story about a woman who comes to a well in John chapter 4. The Scripture tells us that this woman comes to the well at noontime. And when she comes to the well, Jesus comes and He meets her at the well also. And we talked about the fact that it may not seem weird to you or me that she comes at noon, but for that culture, it was very bizarre, very strange. You see, the woman that came to the well at noon had a terrible reputation. She um, had five different husbands, and the guy that she was shacking up with right now was not her husband. And so, when she comes to this well and Jesus is there, the reason she comes at noon, when other people came to the well in the evening because noon was too hot to come to during the day, so people would come in the evening and they'd get their water and they'd keep it, and then their family would have it for the next day. The reason she comes at noon is because everyone in her hometown knew about her reputation. And she came at noon to the well so that she could avoid the whispers, avoid the stares, kind of avoid that small town gossip. Have you ever uh, walked into a place before and um, you felt like people were talking about you? Anyone ever experienced that before? Yeah. And um, maybe it happened in high school. You know, you're walking down the hallway, and there are some people that are by a locker. And they're all talking. But when you walk up, all of a sudden the conversation stops. Or maybe as an adult, you go to the break room, and there are some people around the coffee pot. And when you get there, all of a sudden the conversation kind of stops. Doesn't that feel awkward? I mean, it feels very awkward, and it, and it feels uh, horrible to imagine that there are, there are people that are talking about us, maybe putting us down. Now, this could be our own paranoia and you know, insecurity. I mean, for instance, 
Uh, if you go to a football game and every time the team huddles up uh, and you think they're talking about you, you know what I mean? That might be an issue that you have. But um, this happens, and it happens a lot. I'll never forget when uh, we lived in uh, Flora, Indiana, which had about 2,000 people. Very small town. There was a good friend of mine. He was a a small partner uh, in the nursing home that was in that town. It was one of the biggest employers, and uh, it was just kind of a a centerpiece of the town. And he had about 1% of the entire share of the ownership. Well, the guy who was the major partner was an attorney in town, and eventually he started cutting all these different ways uh, to save money. And in the midst of that, the state actually came in and closed down the nursing home, and all these jobs were lost. And I'll never forget my friend Joe, who, again, he had nothing to do with any of that, and he only had 1% of this whole kind of conglomerate. That every time he would kind of walk in places, people would start to And they would talk about it. And it wasn't too long that I started noticing that he would isolate himself and he would kind of withdraw from the rest of the people when he would walk into places. It made him almost feel like he had to come at noon to a well, if you will, because um, he felt so overwhelmed, he felt so disconnected from the community. Well, that's the way that this woman felt as she comes to this well. She feels this sense that everyone's talking about her. And then she encounters Jesus. And then in John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, this is what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, like we've said over the past couple of weeks, this encounter has a lot to it. And the biggest thing is that Jews, which Jesus was a Jew, and this woman who was a Samaritan, they hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And Jesus, by actually being at the well and actually even, you know, acknowledging this woman, there's a whole bunch of kind of social norms that are being broken. First of all, a man would never approach a woman by herself in public. Secondly, uh, a Samaritan woman uh, would never, ever talk to a Jew. I mean, Samaritans and Jews, they, they hated each other. They despised each other. For Jewish people, a Samaritan uh, was like a religious half-breed. At best and at worst, they were a demon-possessed kind of person. And a Samaritan, you would never, if you were a Jew, you'd never go to a, a Samaritan town to buy food. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, go into town and go ahead and, and buy some food for us. But Jesus, like I said, was different. Jesus was like way different. He didn't care about social norms. What he cared about was people. Because people matter to God. And because people matter to his Father, all people mattered to him. 
Jesus loved people. He had this way of going into places where other people didn't love them, and he loved them. It was a revolutionary kind of love that he gave to the world. And Jesus was so arrogance-free. He broke down all kinds of barriers. In fact, his love was so radical, it was so over the top, that it eventually allowed his hate-filled enemies to take him to a cross and crucify him there. But the thing is, folks, it wasn't Roman soldiers or it wasn't Jewish leaders that killed him. You know what killed him? His love. His love for people is what put him to the cross. Then in verses 9 and 10 it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, You know, if you only knew the gift of God. He's like, if you had any clue who was here with you at the well. If you knew about His grace. If you knew about His love. If you knew about His forgiveness. If you knew that He loves people no matter what. If you knew that, you would take a drink. Because I can tell, I can tell that you're a little bit thirsty. If you knew who it is that you're, is asking you for a drink, if you knew that I'm God, if you knew that I am the promised one who is standing right in front of you right now, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Because you look thirsty. You look really, really thirsty. Well, she tries to change the subject at this time, and she says, well, Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, this is our ancestral well. This is from Jacob, the patriarch. This is a special kind of well, Jesus. I mean, this isn't any ordinary well. Is there kind of special water, holy water, that comes out of here? And Jesus says, you're right. He goes, I understand, this is a special well. And then he goes on and says, but everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, he's saying they'll never run dry. They'll never be empty. You'll always have more than enough. It will be overflowing into your life if you just take and drink from this living water that I want to give to you. Now, you'll have to come to wells every once in a while for your physical body to get that drink. But if you want your soul to be filled for the rest of your life, to abundance, to overflowing, you come to me. And the thing is, if you come to me, when you walk away from that living water, guess what? You're forgiven. You're free. You're loved. You're filled with grace. There is absolutely nothing that could ever happen to you that my living water would not flow into your life if you take a drink. And the conversation goes on and on and on. And this woman is so amazed, folks, because think of your greatest enemy being at a well. And all of a sudden, they say, I'm not your enemy. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one that cares for you. And she's shocked and she's overwhelmed. 
And then all of a sudden, as he talks more and more, and she experiences him, she goes, ah, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's actually the one that they've been talking about for 700 years. That this is the one, the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. And she starts to think, could this be, could this actually be the one? I just want to stop there for a second. And I I want to ask a question that I have a feeling that many of you have asked yourselves. And the question is this, what does God need from me? Because some of us live in a world in which we think God has this big, long laundry list of things that He needs from me. And the reality is, folks, there's only one thing that He needs from you. And it's for you to be able to say, I'm not sure, but could Jesus be the one? That's it. He doesn't need anything more except from a little faith from you that says, I'm not sure, but could Jesus quite be the one? And he says, if you say that, you can come to the well. And let me show you that not only could I be the one, but I actually am the one that you have been longing for and searching for for your entire life. Now, some of you are checking out this whole Christian thing and you're like, I don't know, Jesus, and so, you know, I come here to, you know, just meet friends, or I come for the setup team, or I come to play on the basketball team, or I just come to hang out with a couple of friends. But I'm just saying that you're here for a reason, and part of that reason might be simply to ask questions, and to keep asking questions, and to keep coming to church, and keep trying to seek and find the one who really is the one. I got an email this week from a guy. Uh, he's only been coming to the jar for the last six weeks. I really didn't know him uh, before he started coming. But he's a really, really good guy. One of those guys that just kind of brightens up a room. And uh, uh, he's a very intelligent guy. But a few years ago, he made some really, really bad decisions. He got uh, whacked out on cocaine a little bit. And he got into a real estate adventure that uh, he had committed fraud and forgery and he committed crime. And um, he'd love to, to go back. And you, you ever have that? You'd like to go back and you'd like to take back all of that stuff. But he wasn't close to God at that time. And he spent over three years in prison. And just six weeks ago, uh, he was released. And this is what he wrote to me. He said, Chris, I hope you don't mind, but I wanted to take a few minutes and write to you some thoughts. I was the poster child for cocaine addiction. I went to prison. My family suffered. My wife of 20 years divorced me. She left my children as well, and my children went through so much. My mother passed away while I was in prison, and I found out that I just could not forgive myself. I carried such a burden of unforgiveness toward myself that words cannot express how much I hated what I saw in the mirror. But on January 10th, 2010, which is very ironic to me because that's when this church started in my home seven years ago. January 10th, 2003. January 10th, 2010, I gave my life to Christ. In that moment, I knew Christ forgave me 
but I couldn't forgive myself. We talk about whispers, and I've had some, and I'm still having whispers almost daily. I believe that if you follow Christ, He will change you. And so, He has changed me, and He's given me whispers. But one day, He gave me something more than a whisper. I was in prison, and I called home to speak to my daughter, who I love so much. Now, my wife had already left, and my daughter was staying with my parents. And so, I called home one day, and my daughter got on the phone, and she was crying. See, her boyfriend of two years broke up with her, and she was so upset that she had no parent there to comfort her. She was alone in her hurt and her suffering, and she just needed me so bad right then and there, and there was nothing I could do but try and comfort her over the phone. So I spent an hour on the phone with her, and I tried to make her feel better, and I let her know that even though I was not there in person, that I loved her, I cared for her, I missed her, And I was sorry for the fact of what I had done and that I would be a better father and on and on and on. I finally got off the phone and I was so hurt. Again, I started to pity myself and I just got so mad at myself for what I had done. And I went to my cell and I closed the door and God talked to me again right then and there. But this time, it wasn't a whisper. It was a loud shout that said, Enough already! I listened and the message became so clear to me that I was forgiven, that my kids had forgiven me, that my family had forgiven me, that Christ had forgiven me, and it was time for me to forgive myself. And until I forgave myself, I could do nothing else. I could not move on. I was reminded what Christ had endured so that I could be forgiven. Only this time, God showed me in a way that I had never seen before. I picked up the Bible and I started reading it. I read and I read. And I get it. I really do. I'm actually surprised at how much I get it. But I do. I participate and celebrate recovery every Thursday night. And I am recovered through the power of Jesus Christ. I hope that someday I'm in a position to help others as I really think I have something in me to teach. And I think God is leading me in such a way that I am so thankful for that He led me to the jar. Wow. That was pretty long-winded. I'm sure you need a break now. Laugh out loud. Thanks so much for listening. Friends, I don't care how thirsty you are. I don't care what has happened in your past. God wants to give you living water no matter who you are and to fill you up to overflowing. Look at what it says in verse 27. It's kind of a scene change, almost a plot B kind of story. It says this, Just then the disciples returned. Now where were the disciples at? Do you guys remember? They're in town with these people that they despise buying food. And they didn't like doing it. And they're surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Now, (laughs) that's kind of funny to me. uh, That verse right there. Because the disciples 
walk up to this well, and they're like, oh, man, look what he's doing. Oh, jeez. We're in Samaria. We bought this food. We're drinking water from these nasty Samaritans, and now he's talking to a woman at a well. Everybody is watching, I'm sure. You going to ask him? I ain't going to ask him. You going to ask him? I'm not going to ask him. Dude, just keep your head down. Don't say a word. Hopefully he'll just stop talking to her and we can get out of here. He's like, man, I'm done. The other just like, ugh. And look at verse 28. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, obviously, there was a lot more to this conversation than what we have in this text because she says, this man told me everything about my life. He knew me inside and out. And in verse 30 it says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I think maybe that's the coolest thing in the world, that verse. I mean, here's this woman. She comes at noontime thinking that she's empty and she's alone and she's isolated and she's trying to avoid the people and she leaves from an encounter with Jesus and she is free and she is full and she is like to the brim filled with goodness and love. And she runs back to her hometown. Now, folks, if there are people that think you have a bad reputation, do you run to them and go, hey, I want to talk to you? The only way you do that is if you get living water from someone that is so powerful and it quenches your thirst that you can't help but give it to everybody that you see. Because she wanted all of her friends, even her enemies, to meet this man Named Jesus. Now, I gave you an essential equation uh, in the first week, and I want to give it back to you again because this brings life. And this is what it is. The equation is this my truth plus his truth equals freedom. In other words, when you take the truth about yourself and you go to the well and you let it out exactly who you are, and you get it hooked up with God's truth, then all of a sudden, folks, you will live in a freedom that this world doesn't know and the world can't take away. And this woman is free. And she is, like, full. Anybody here excited about getting full this Thanksgiving? Oh, like three hands came up. Come on. I know some women are like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm going to be good this Thanksgiving. I'll tell you what. When Thursday and Friday comes, I'm going to eat my butt off. I mean, the only exercise there's going to be is fork to mouth. Fork to mouth, you know? So I thought just as a way to kind of prepare for Thanksgiving, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, and I'd like you to share with them what is your favorite food of Thanksgiving. Is it pumpkin pie, apple pie? What is it? So go ahead, talk to people.
Okay, okay. How many of you said pumpkin pie? Okay, good, good, good. Uh, how many of you said turkey? Okay. How many of you said dressing or stuffing? Okay. That's good. Some of you are raising hands multiple times. Yeah, a lot of things. How many of you said cranberry sauce? You're sick. You're absolutely sick. Nobody likes cranberry sauce. You know what my favorite thing is going to be for, for uh, Thanksgiving? Spiral ham. And I know some of you are like, can't have spiral ham, it's Thanksgiving. Turkey. Well, get over it. I love spiral ham because it's like it's on the bone, and it's like this, this perfect mixture of sweetness and saltiness, like all there. And I'll be so thirsty, you know, after, after Thursday. Now, how many of you um, have more than one dinner to go to? Okay. Like my family, we, we have two dinners. We go Thursday to uh, my enemy, I mean my in-laws. <laughs> Just joking. And then on Friday, we go to my parents and my, my mom and my mother-in-law, they are great cooks. And what will happen is on Thursday, I can already tell you, I'm going to sit back on a lazy boy and I'm going to go, man, I'm stuffed. You know, I'm really stuffed. And then Friday's going to come, and we're going to have to go to my parents' house. And my mom, she asks this question every single time, because you sit there and you start eating, and like you don't eat enough, and she'll, she'll ask, she'll go, well, aren't you hungry? And it's like you're, it's my mom, so you're like, oh yeah, mom, I'm hungry. But a lot of times, I can't even do it for my mom, and I'll get to the end of it, and I'll be like, no thanks, mom, I'm already stuffed. Now look at verse 31. It says, meanwhile, his disciples, remember back from their fast food kind of thing, urged him, Rabbi, teacher, we got some food, eat something. And he said, no thanks, guys. He goes, no thanks. He goes, I'm stuffed. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Then his disciples said to each other, you've got to be kidding. Couldn't, could someone have brought him some food? And Jesus said this, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Jesus said, for me, nothing fills my life more than seeing empty people getting filled up. He says, raise up your eyes and look at these people coming from the town. Nothing satisfies me more deeply than allowing the Father to use my life to overflow into the life of other people. No thanks, guys. You know what? I'm good. I'm stuffed. That's what deeply satisfies God, folks. Is when you are deeply satisfied with Him. Jesus overflowed into that woman's life when they went to the well. And she, in turn, goes to her hometown and she overflows into the lives of her friends and her family and even her enemies. And folks, if you're going through some tough stuff right now, maybe in your relational world or work world, and there's some shame in your life right now, and you're just kind of wondering, what can God give to me? What can God give to me? In a tough time, when I'm feeling 
Like, I'm the outcast. I'm isolated. What can God give to me? And this is what God can give to you. He can restore your reputation. You see, folks, Jesus is in the restoration, reputation business. He loves to restore our reputations. God wants to use you. He wants to recycle your mistakes. He wants to recycle your pain. He wants to recycle your unforgiveness. He wants to recycle your failures and use them all for His good purposes. Folks, I don't care what you've done in your life. You are useful to the God of the universe. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of what? The woman's story. Because of this shameful, bad reputation Five husband shacking up woman because Jesus came into her life. The entire town becomes changed because she's overflowing. They experience new life. And she goes, I don't want to go back to any life, but I want to share this new life with everyone I see. She came to the well and she was thirsty and she was dry and she was empty and she was broken. Her soul was cracked. Her soul was parched. And now after an encounter with Jesus, it's like this living water is just flowing out of her into everyone that she meets. Which leads me to the question that you need to ask yourself today and every day. And it's this. What is flowing out of my life? What is flowing out of your life? Is living water flowing out of your life? Is joy flowing out of your life? Is peace flowing out of your life? What about encouragement? What about goodness? What about gentleness? What about thanksgiving? Is it flowing out of your life into the lives of the people around you? Because let me tell you, when those things flow out of your life, folks, you can't help but become overfilled and overflow. It just comes out. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. He's saying that when you're full of the good things in your life, folks, all of a sudden that goodness just overflows. Because whatever is in your heart eventually will come out of your mouth. Any Seinfeld fans here? People like Seinfeld? I love Seinfeld. I watch a lot of the reruns. One of my favorite characters in that is uh, Kramer. Crazy Kramer. uh, Michael Richards. But a few years ago, I, I lost a lot of respect with uh, Michael Richards. You might remember he stood up in a comedy club and all of a sudden there were all this racist language that kind of came out of his mouth and uh, just filled uh, him in such a way that was horrible. And then a couple days later he kind of thought his publicist would really allow something to come. And, And this is what he said. He said, I don't know where that came from. And that was it. Jesus says it comes from a deep place inside you. I'm not judging Richards. I'm just saying that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, folks. Whatever's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. 
You see, folks, we're all like a tube of toothpaste. And when we're squeezed to a certain point, that's what comes out. Whatever is inside, when it's squeezed, is going to come out. You know, with black box recorders, when uh, airplanes are going down, the number one thing that they hear from airline pilots more than anything else is profanity-laced words. Because I'm telling you folks, when it gets squeezed, whatever's in your heart, that's what comes out. Earlier this fall, uh, we, my wife thought, hey, let's have a bonfire. So we had this big bonfire and we were going to cook hot dogs and have s'mores and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I went ahead and I got some paper and I got two sticks and I rubbed them together. Actually, I got a torch. There's a guy in the church who gave me this torch because he knows I can't do anything. And uh, I thought, okay, the, wo- the wood's a little bit wet, but we'll get this thing lit up. And all of a sudden, it kind of got lit up a little bit. And then Jennifer came out, and she was kind of frustrated with the kids. And she's like, well, can't you set up some tables? How are we going to eat? And I'm like walking to the garage going, I'm going to set up a table. I'm going to a table right now. And our, all of our tables are up on uh, the shelf. And I look up and I pull down one of these tables. And all of a sudden, it slams and it hits right on my foot. And I said something that sounded, that rhymes with bit, but I did not bite my tongue. And all of a sudden, neighbors, I'm sure, could hear this from everywhere. And Jennifer walks into the uh, garage, and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I hit my foot, you know. Now, for some of you, you're at a spiritual place in your life in which four-letter words, hey, you're working on that. That's great. But for me, folks, I'm at a place where those things should really probably be eradicated. And it may not be a big deal to you, but it was a huge deal to me. Because I realized that in the couple weeks leading up to that, there was a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. And I wasn't thirsting for God so much. I was just trying to quench my own thirst. And you see, folks, whatever it is that's inside of you eventually comes out. You see, folks, out of the overflow of your heart comes four-letter words sometimes. But this is the good news. Whenever that happens to you, God typically gives you some indicators long before that that's inside that He's asking you to make some changes. And you can go and you can make those changes and get filled up with the source of living water. Look at what it says in Psalm 42. David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. Let's read this out loud together. It will come up on the side screen. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, I found that my soul really pants for God, for when I'm thirsting for Him, when I'm praying 
when I'm spending time in solitude, when I'm seeking Him, when I'm looking for Him, when I'm journaling, when I'm pouring out my life to God, when I'm acknowledging His presence in my life, that that is when all of a sudden I get filled up, when my attitude is filled with gratitude, and I'm thanking Him for all the good things that He's done in my life, when I have non-rushed times of worshiping and praising Him, when my soul pants for God, He fills me up. And when I don't, He doesn't. When I get filled up, I start to overflow into the lives of other people. I read an interesting quote this week that I'd like to have you guys look at. It's from Robert Mulholland, and he says this. As Christians, we try to live for God in the world when we should live in God for the world. Let me say that again. As Christians, we we try to live for God in the world when we should live in God for the world. Every single one of us, when we start growing closer to God, we're like, God, I want to be there with you. I want to grow in you. I want to live for you. Just tell me how. And we get all fired up and we start doing a whole bunch of stuff. And God's just like, I just want you to be. Because if you're not being with God, folks, you'll never make a splash in this world. People will just see you as this busy Christian that just does things and it doesn't attract other people. But when we say to God, God, I want you to be in my everyday life so that you and I can make a difference together, that I want to be the kind of person that overflows with the goodness that you've given to me, then all of a sudden we make ripples in the world around us. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, if you remain in me, And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then then he went on to say, When you obey me, you are living in my love, just as I obeyed my Father and live in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your cup will be what? It will what? Overflow. Overflow. Folks, when we live in God, all of a sudden we overflow with peace and joy and thanksgiving. And before long, this overflow that's in our lives, it can't help but overflow into the lives of other people. When we stay thirsty for God, He fills us up with such an overflow that it goes into the lives of other folks. Now this is the way I want to close out. When you came in today, I think all of you received a little uh, booklet like this. If you didn't, uh, we've got some extra ones, and maybe one of the greeters can come up here, and they got them back there. Okay, so if you need one, just raise your hand. But uh, I've done this in my life over the last few years, and this right here is worth the price of admission. I want to just give you one moment with God. We're not going to take very long, just one minute. But I'd like you to open this up, and I'd like you to write down three things that you're thankful for. Go ahead, open it up, take a pen, and just write three things that you're thankful for. It can be small things, big things, anything. And then the band's going to lead us in a time where we can celebrate and lift God up in worship. So go ahead, write down three things that you're thankful for.
what I'd encourage you to do is put this by your lampstand or on your night table uh, this week. And every night before you go to bed, just pull out the next sheet and just write down three things that you're thankful for. And I'm telling you, you do that and all of a sudden what's going to overflow and ooze out of you is God's thankfulness and joy for life. So let's stand and uh, we're just going to celebrate and thank God for the goodness that He has in our life. And uh, while we do that, let's just let's have a word of prayer real quick. God, we thank You for all the blessings that flow from Your hands into us. Thank You that You fill us up whenever we come to You. Jesus, we want more of You in our lives. We want Your love and Your joy and Your peace to just flow from You into us and from us out to other people. God, help us this week, each day this week, to take our little journal and to write three things down that we're thankful for before we go to bed. And then watch You move, God, in our lives. You are a great God. We want to worship You with all of our hearts. So this Thanksgiving, You would know that it's our greatest desire to make Your name great. We pray this in Jesus' name.
name above all names. above all names. God, we just thank you for being a, a God that offers us water to thirst no more. We just thank you for being an awesome God that we can have a relationship with. And I just pray that, uh, that you bless this coming week for us as the holiday season comes in. Um, so in this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have an awesome week. Know you're always loved in this place. Will the prayer team come forward if you need any prayers? Remember, there's going to be a meet and greet in the conference room with Pastor Chris. And if anybody's interested in staying around, helping tear stuff down, we always need the help.